Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. When Rachel Wade and Sarah Ludeman both started dating the same boy, they were each under the impression that the other one was an ex-girlfriend. This led to a social media feud that would escalate to a deadly level. This is Monsters. A love triangle can be a consensual relationship between three people, but when we hear the term, it's usually referencing a situation where two people are fighting for the affection of one other person. Love triangles have been plaguing humanity for a long time. William Shakespeare wrote about the love triangle between Romeo and Juliet, even though she was meant to marry Count Paris. In the late 1800s, Queen Victoria's daughters had a secret love triangle with Prince Henry of Battenberg. More recently, you can read about love triangles in young adult fiction like Twilight and The Selection. Some of the highest-grossing movies have involved love triangles such as Titanic and Gone with the Wind. A love triangle will oftentimes end with at least one person being hurt emotionally. Unfortunately, sometimes it ends with someone being killed. In the Tall Hot Blonde case, Thomas Montgomery shot and killed Brian Barrett over a romantic rivalry with a woman online. Neither of them had even met in person. Spoiler alert, she wasn't a tall hot blonde in real life. When teens get into love triangles, it's unfortunately common for the other people involved to start attacking each other instead of the person who's doing the two-timing. Instead of walking away from a liar and a cheat, they get into a deadlock to fight for someone who generally isn't worth the effort. Rachel Wade grew up in Pinellas Park, Florida, on the Pinellas Peninsula just west of Tampa. Her mother Janet said she was a happy child who loved Disney princesses, reading, and drawing. She was upbeat and easily made friends. In high school, her parents said that her social life became more important than school and she started fighting against the rules. Her parents set a curfew, but Rachel believed that she should be able to stay out all night. Her father, Barry, told her, quote, nothing good ever happens after midnight, end quote. Rachel started running away from home when she didn't get her way. When she was 15 years old, police caught her in a car in the school parking lot with a 19-year-old boy. He was charged with a felony sex offense. On another occasion, police were called to her house after she had a fight with her mother. The police report states that Rachel grabbed a knife out of the kitchen drawer and then ran into the bathroom. Rachel's mother, Janet, learned that Rachel's downward spiral was due to her being boy crazy. She would do anything to get a boy to like her, and once he did, she didn't want to let him go. Most of her relationships ended on bad terms. In her sophomore year in high school, Rachel ran away from home 14 times and eventually dropped out of school. Her parents got her into counseling, and she spent her days working at a doggy daycare. Eventually, she ran away to live with a boyfriend about a month before her 17th birthday. Police were called to the apartment multiple times about domestic disputes, and eventually the relationship ran its course. Sarah Ludeman grew up in a house that was not far from Wade's. Her parents had moved to Florida from New York before she was born because they wanted to live someplace warm. She was their only child who they didn't have until 16 years into their marriage. Her father was a taxi driver, and she would regularly ride with him in his cab, blasting country music on the radio. She was a total daddy's girl, and they did everything together. 
In middle school, while all of her friends were dating boys, she wasn't as quick to start a relationship. She had grown up being a little overweight and it caused some minor self-esteem issues. She had started high school at Tarpon Springs to attend its veterinary medicine program. She was dedicated enough to get up while it was still dark and take an hour-long bus ride just to attend the school. At the end of the day, her father, Charlie, would be waiting for her at the bus stop. Her parents were proud to see their daughter so focused on a career that showed her kind and loving nature and knew that it would bring her great success. And the person that these two ladies were fighting over was a boy named Joshua Camacho. He moved to the area in elementary school and was in the same class as Wade, though they didn't become close at the time. His father was from New York and his mother was from the Dominican Republic. Josh had a job working at the local Chick-fil-A, and while Sarah was there with her friend, Amber Leayala, he came out of the back door and winked at Sarah. Sarah was instantly smitten by the boy, but she was unaware that he was already seeing another girl. No, not Rachel Wade, but a third woman, Erin, who he had had a baby with. They flirted throughout the summer, and after Josh told Sarah that he was going to be a senior at Pinellas Park High School next year, she told her parents that she didn't want to be a veterinarian anymore and wanted to transfer to Pinellas Park High. Sarah's parents were not happy about her decision, and they knew that Josh was not the right boy for her, but they were patient and thought that the relationship would run its course. That same summer, Wade ran into Josh at a party and remembered him from elementary school. She visited him while he was working, and they began an on-again, off-again relationship. She knew that he was seeing other girls, and that was the reason they kept breaking up. When Wade turned 18 years old, she got a job as a server at a local Applebee's and was able to get her own apartment. Once she was on her own, Josh started sleeping over and freeloading off of her. This gave him a reason to be around her more often, which led to her becoming attached to him. When summer was over, Sarah began attending the same high school as Josh, but he didn't really give her much attention. For the first few months of school, he would only give her a passing glance with a slight head nod, but in November, they finally started dating. Even then, though, he only showed her affection in private. While they were out in public, he wouldn't hold her hand or even walk next to her. Her friends started getting concerned when they noticed that Sarah started wearing pants. She was the type of girl that wore shorts every day, even when it was cold. But it turned out that Josh didn't like other guys seeing her legs, so he told her to wear pants. He also started telling her who she could hang out with and who she could talk to. Her friends encouraged her to let Josh go, but her whole world had become about him. Being her first relationship, it wasn't so easy for her to accept not being with Josh. Her friends said that they had had boyfriends before, so even though breaking up sucked, they knew it wasn't the end of the world. But the idea of breaking up and being able to move on was foreign to Sarah. She felt like she had finally found someone who truly loved her, and if she lost him, she would never find someone else. Wade's friends did the same thing. They listened to her complain about Josh's lies and cheating, and they didn't understand why she didn't just dump him and move on. She had dated lots of boys, and they said that she could date anyone she wanted. She was flirty and attractive, and had her own place, her own car, and a decent job. Like the boys she had dated before, now that she had him, she refused to let him go. Josh had his hold on both of these girls, even though he had literally nothing to offer them. Sarah's love of Josh became more like an obsession. She had changed her whole life to be with him. From changing schools and bailing on her career goals, to getting into fights with other girls over him. 
In the first six months of the couple dating, Sarah, who had never been in any kind of trouble before, was interviewed by police six times about public confrontations. Sometimes it was from fights that Sarah and Josh had in public, screaming at each other in the middle of intersections. Another time was regarding a confrontation Sarah had with his baby's mother in a movie theater parking lot. The next confrontation would all unfold over MySpace. You guys remember MySpace, right? Eventually, both girls knew about each other, but Josh would tell each of them that the other was his ex-girlfriend, keeping them both in the dark that he was still actively seeing the other. It was easy at first, since Sarah had a curfew of 11 o'clock p.m., and Wade usually got off of work at Applebee's after that. He also had Aaron in the mix, but when she caught him cheating, she would yell and scream at him, but always took him back. When Wade saw a picture of Josh and Sarah on MySpace, she used the platform to send a message to Josh. She wrote about how she'd been in love with him, but now she deserved better. When Sarah saw that, she left a comment on the post that Josh had already found better, meaning herself. Wade found Sarah's phone number and started leaving her threatening messages. In retaliation, Sarah and her friends went to eat at Applebee's while Wade was working and tried to trip her while she was carrying food and beverages. They also made a complaint that she spit in their food. One night, Rachel made a police complaint that Sarah and her friends ran up to her car as she parked at a Taco Bell and shot her with silly string. Sarah would drive by Wade's apartment and yell taunts. Wade would continue to call and make threats against Sarah, who once called the police to complain that Wade had called her 20 times over the course of two hours threatening her. When police questioned Wade, she claimed that Sarah had sent her threatening emails. It was a situation that the parents and the police thought was only a teen rivalry that would eventually blow over. In the middle of all of this, Josh moved in with Wade while still seeing Sarah. Friends said that he liked that the girls were fighting over him. He would tell them, quote, Well, if you want to be with me, then you'll fight with her for me, end quote. I mean, I don't get it. He seems like a loser, but I've never been a teenage girl, so what do I know? By August of 2008, the threats were escalating. Wade was leaving messages for Sarah where she was threatening to kill her. Next message. Please tell me, Sarah, why you would be a dumb enough to put a brand new picture of you and Josh at the beach. Seriously, I told you to watch your back and not to chill with him. Now your ass is mine and I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to murder you. I'm letting you know that now because you know what? Josh might have played me, but bitch, I'm going to play your ass out too. Watch. You're a f***ing fat bitch, and I'm going to f***ing kill you. I swear on my life. Watch out your f***ing window when I get off work tonight, you dumb bitch. End of message. Instead of being upset at the boy who was lying and cheating on both of them, their anger was focused at each other. Next message. It's so funny how you talk and you want to sit there and say that my man... Was that Sarah's house? Then tell me what he was wearing tonight, Sarah. You're a dumb bitch for real. If you're f***ing lying, I'm going to find you and I'm going to beat your ass. If you're not lying, I'm going to find you and beat your ass, okay? You keep playing f***ing games. You're a pathetic little bitch and you're a little f***ing girl. Honestly, what the f*** do you have that's going for you that Josh wants you over me for? I got a job, have my own place, have... What the f***? Seriously? He could get anything he wants from me and he Thing, not to mention that I look probably 10 times better than you, and you run your mouth. You still got your mommy and daddy's curfew, bitch, for God's sake. What do you, why do you run your mouth, and why are you that pathetic? Please do leave it on your MySpace, because that's old news, just like you and him are. So keep talking 
Sarah. You don't know when to stop. You haven't learned your lesson yet, but I'm going to teach you it. I'm telling you now. Keep with me, Sarah. The dumb, psychotic little bitches. And I'm telling you now, I'm going to show you psycho. Keep with me. You're with the wrong person and with the one thing that I care about. So keep going, Sarah. Play your game because I'm going to teach you how to grow up real quick. End of message. The harassment went on for months and reached its boiling point on April 14, 2009. That evening, Josh was supposed to spend time with Wade, but he eventually canceled, claiming to have other plans. Sarah had been upset with Josh for two weeks. Her father said that she'd cried every day and that she had lost 30 pounds in the last six months. When she got home from school that day, she logged into MySpace and saw that Wade had recently posted the message, Love in my boo smiley face. She began texting Josh to let out her frustrations. Quote, whatever Josh, you get so mad at me for everything, but you don't give a shit when she puts something up or says something, you always believe her, end quote. A few minutes later, quote, it's like no matter what I do, she's always that much better, end quote. She continues, quote, all we fight about is her or something that has to do with her and it sucks. I hate fighting with you. I love you so much, but this shit hurts, end quote. Sarah waited hours with no response, then wrote, quote, You say you love me, but you don't even have the decency to text me back? End quote. Finally, at 8.02 p.m., Josh responded, quote, Bring the movies. End quote. Sarah borrowed her mother's green minivan and drove the two blocks to Josh's sister, Janet's house. There, they watched movies and played video games until after Sarah's 11 p.m. curfew. Sarah made a detour on her way to Janet's house, and while Wade was outside walking her dog, she cruised by, honked, yelled, quote, stay away from my man, end quote, and drove off. Wade claimed that she was afraid that they would show up again, so her ex-boyfriend, Javier Laboy, agreed to let her come over to his house. Wade grabbed a steak knife out of the kitchen and put it in her purse before heading out. Okay, what kind of knife is it? Just like something you get out of a like a butcher block kind of thing. What does it look like? Can you describe it? It just had a black handle on it and, and it was about that long. A serrated edge. Okay. When you had it with you, you had it in the car with you, right? And you drove over to Javier's house. Why did you have it with you? Because they said that they were going to find my car and follow me, and she threatened to kill okay. me. So you are you telling me that you had it for some form of protection? Yeah, because I know they're going to jump me. I know Josh's family. Josh has hit me before. Josh's brother has threatened to hit me before. Do you have a gun or anything else? No. Okay, so that was your form of protection. Okay, so when you got in the car tonight, to go over to their house, you had it in your hand, or you brought it with you. When you were arguing with Josh, you had it, is that right? That was in my seat. Okay, and did they tell you to put it away? No, they didn't say anything. Javier and Dustin didn't? No, Javier asked who I had it, and he said, do you really think, I told him, so like, if they see it, they'll leave me alone. Hopefully they'd just go away. Right. And he was like, because I guess Josh has come to his house with a gun before. Mm -hmm. He said it wasn't, don't scare them, and it wasn't going to do anything to them. And I just, that was kind of the end of the conversation. He said, you know, they're not going to stop at anything. Okay. She claims that she brought the steak knife to scare them off because she just wanted them to leave her alone, but she continued to taunt them. On the way to Javier's house, she stopped at Janet's house and sent a text message to Josh that read, quote, Now I know why you're not talking to me, because you have her, end quote. Camacho texted back, quote, That's right. I don't like you no more. 
Why are you down the street? Go home. End quote. She then drove up and down the street, yelling out of her car for Sarah to come out and fight her. Sarah was already late for her curfew, and when her dad texted simply, quote, when, end quote, she texted back, quote, soon, end quote. And when the headlights from Wade's car faded away, she got up to leave. Even though it was almost midnight, Janet and one of her friends asked for a ride to McDonald's, and Sarah agreed. While on the way, they ran into a friend who told them they had seen Wade at Javier's house, which was only a few blocks away. According to the passengers with Sarah, Wade called her and said on speakerphone, quote, I'm going to stab you and your Mexican boyfriend, end quote. According to Wade, Sarah made it to Javier's house and tried to run her over. After that, she jumped out of the minivan and came at her, swinging wildly. In the course of seconds, Sarah had been stabbed twice, once in the shoulder and once in the heart. Sarah fell backward to the ground. All right, Rachel, walk me through it. You're sitting there. They pull up. Sarah gets out. You go out to the street where she's at, okay? Because she's right in front of the car, okay? To the front of her car. What happened when you encountered her? She just started screaming at me, and she laughed at me and said I wasn't going to do anything, and she realized that I had a knife, and she kind of backed up, and she started swinging on me anyway, so I just... When you say she started swinging on you, what was she, she doing? She started punching me and whipping me. Flailing at you? Yeah. Punching? And then I saw Janet coming out. And where were you holding the knife at the time? I just had it out to the side, and then I saw Janet coming at me, and I saw the other girl come around the back end of the car, mm-hmm. and they were all screaming at me, and Janet was telling me that I was crazy, and I wasn't going to do anything, and then, like... She said that she wished I would stab her. Who said that? Um, Janet. Said, I wish you'd stab me. Yeah, she said, I bet you won't stab me. I wish you would. And um, when Sarah was hitting me, I went to hit her, and I really did not even stab her. Okay. I'm not trying. I'm not going to kill somebody. Tell, tell me how it happened. So she was hitting me, and when I went to hit her back, I had put one of my hands up, and I had, like, I tried to hit her back and keep my hands in front of me. This is the knife. Show me how you were holding it, okay? But now, if if I'm Sarah and I'm in front of you, what were you doing with the knife? How did you have it out to the side, and she started swinging on me. And then when I went to put my hands out, she was swinging on me, and I tried to defend myself from her. And then Janet came at me from the side. Mm -hmm. And I guess I like I did not mean to stab her at all. How many times did you stab her? I guess once. Okay, do you know where it hit her at? No, I don't. I didn't see anything. I had both of them coming at me and Sarah hitting me to begin with. Wade claims that she didn't intend to stab Sarah. She was trying to hit Sarah back and just had the knife in her hand. I could see how someone could get cut if you're trying to punch them and you have a knife in your hand. Two quick stabs to the chest seem a little less believable. Even if you're flailing your arms around, holding a knife the way she described, it would be very hard to accidentally stab someone in the chest with enough force to penetrate the heart. After you stabbed her, did she go to the ground, fall to the ground? I didn't see that. She was screaming at Janet after that. She was screaming, Janet, get in the car, your kids. That's all she would say. And then I didn't see her. And I still heard her yelling her name. That's all I heard was Janet, Janet, get in the car. Okay. So Sarah didn't have any weapon with her at all, right? She wasn't carrying a bat or a gun or a knife that you saw, right? Okay. And you went out and you met her in the street, came up to her side of the car where she was getting out of, is that right? I stepped in, like, in the front of my car, yeah. 
and when she started screaming at me, and then Janet started coming around the side, so I walked over a little bit further. But initially it was just you and Sarah, because you said Sarah was, and is that how your lip got hit? I think Janet did that, I don't know. Sarah kind of hit me in like the side of my head more than anything, okay. and in my stomach once. But when Sarah was hitting me, I saw Janet come this way, and the other girl got out of the other side of the car and walked around from the back towards me. Okay. So after that was done, and I know you said you were being dragged around by Janet and whatnot, when you went back up to the house, what did you do with the knife once you had it? I threw it. Where? To, like towards the neighbor's house. If you're facing Javier's yeah. house to the left side, just in the grass, over the fence, what? Threw it up. I don't know where it landed. Up on the roof? I don't know if it was on the roof or in their backyard or just okay. it. And how long would you say the knife is? Wade claimed that Janet had attacked her after that, giving her a fat lip and scratching her back. She also said that she threw the knife, but didn't know where it went. Witnesses said that, immediately after the stabbing, Wade threw the knife onto the neighbor's roof and calmly said, quote, I'm done, end quote. Javier, Dustin were out in the street fighting with you guys at all. Josh wasn't there. No, Josh was well, I heard Josh screaming, like, as the cops were pulling up, I heard Josh and his brother. And me and Sarah were done fighting. Josh called me and threatened me and said he was going to come shoot me with his gun. Why? Because of the fact that his sister called and said that we were fighting and that was I hit her. Was it the fact that his sister her called her. and said that you stabbed her? I don't know what she said to him. I guess because she said that I hit her and that I stabbed Sarah. I don't know what she said. When every, I, I, This is what I'm having a problem with. You're going to have to help me out with this because when everybody got there, Sarah is laying in the middle of the street with the stab wound. How do you not see that? I didn't get Janet came after me. Like, she physically came after me and dragged me around his front yard. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see anything. Okay. I just didn't see. Like, I saw Sarah sitting, like, on the edge of the seat of the front of the van. Mm -hmm. And she was screaming at Janet to get in the car. And then after that, Janet just came after me. She would not stop. And Javier and Dustin kind of, like, followed us, trying to, like, I don't know, intimidate her maybe to leave me alone. And... She, like, I went to dial 911, she knocked my phone out of my hands, and she just kept dragging me around the front yard. I couldn't see anything. Well, I know you told me that you were upset and you just wanted this to be over because they have been harassing you, obviously. Was tonight kind of just the final straw? Is that what the deal was? I just, I, want, I didn't want anything to do with any of them. Right. I didn't want them to call me. But you brought a knife with you for a reason. I, because they said they were going to follow me okay. to my apartment. But you also said that you had had enough of it. And when I asked you why you just didn't run into the house when they come pulling up in a van, your response to me was what? I don't know. I'm tired of running and being scared. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't. My parents did not raise me that way. Okay. I know that. But you I did tonight. I did not have any intention on stabbing her. You had the knife in your hand. How do you think that blade came in contact with her? You said she was, was like trying to trying hit you. To hit her back. Okay, well, how do you hit somebody with a knife in your hand? You're gonna have to show me. So I was just swinging the, at her. I just had it and I was swinging at her. She kept hitting me and I just started swinging with, back with the knife with both hands. Okay, yes. show me how you were you overhand or was, was it like both, this or what? Everywhere. You're just yes, all over because that's all she was doing to me and I saw both of the other girls coming after me. Okay. Wade says that Janet called Josh, and she may have as well, but it was Sarah who managed to get to her phone and call Josh, telling him about the fight and possibly about being stabbed. After that, Josh called Wade and asked where she was, and she told him. 
According to Wade, while on the phone, he also threatened to shoot her. This is also where she claims that she didn't want to have anything to do with them, but she still pulled up to Janet's house and texted Josh and drove up and down the street, taunting Sarah. Once Sarah was stabbed, Javier called 911. What is your emergency? We have someone on the floor that's been stabbed. We need an ambulance ASAP. Where is the person that stabbed them? She's on the floor. The person that stabbed them? She's right here, too. Where are they? They this? She's right here in the driveway. Where is the knife at now? She's in her hand. They're fighting. we got to hurry up and be here quick. Sir, sir, they're already on the way. This isn't falling down at all. Stand the phone to the police department. There's clearly a fight going on in the background, which would support Wade's claim that she was attacked, but this audio is from after the stabbing, so this is probably the fight between Janet and Wade, as described in the interrogation. She's on the floor. Who's after? Here. She's getting inside. You gotta try to hurry. Come down, sir. They're on the way. The police are on the way. Just tell me what happened. Um... Javier says in the call, quote, they tried to jump her, end quote, meaning Sarah, Janet, and the other girl tried to jump Wade. This again would support Wade's claim that she was defending herself. He may have seen the fighting between Janet and Wade after the stabbing and only assumed that they came to jump Wade. Josh ran from Janet's house the two blocks to Sarah's house and told her dad that she had been hurt. From there, they drove together to Javier's house. By the time they got there, Sarah was surrounded by paramedics. They rushed Sarah to the hospital, where she eventually died from a stab wound to the heart. At the scene, police say they found Wade sitting on a bench in front of the house, smoking a cigarette. She told police which way she threw the knife and was taken to the police station for questioning. While there, she didn't know how badly Sarah had been injured, but once the police got confirmation, they let her know. Here's the next thing that, that you need to that you need to understand, Rachel. Okay, when I was down at the hospital, okay, I saw where she was stabbed at. Okay, it looks like she has two stab wounds. All right. The next piece of information that you need to know is that she is dead. 
died as a result of these stab wounds that she had at Northside Hospital. <laughs> I didn't know that she had been stabbed, and I just wanted them to finally leave me alone. All this over Josh? I just didn't want them to terrorize me anymore. They follow me everywhere. They come to my job. They come to my house. Well, she's not, not going to follow you anymore because she's dead now. Rachel Wade was placed under arrest and charged with the second-degree murder of Sarah Ludeman. While in jail awaiting trial, she made phone calls to friends and family talking about what she was going to do when she got out. She seemed pretty sure that she would be found not guilty because she was only defending herself. She even said at one point that when she got released, she was going to marry Javier. The trial began on July 20, 2010, and the prosecution used all of Wade's communications against her. The voice on the other end say, I am going to stab you and your Mexican boyfriend. And it's immediate. Not like there was words exchange. it's immediate. It was, she comes up to her, she has a knife, boom, boom, boom. It, that's it. The defense argued that Wade acted in self-defense and even brought up Florida's infamous Stand Your Ground law, made well known when George Zimmerman was acquitted after shooting and killing Trayvon Martin, who was an unarmed teenager. The defense claimed that she was fearful for her life after being attacked by Sarah. They had the testimony of Javier Leboy, who said he did see some fighting, but admitted that he didn't see much of the entire incident. The prosecution had 12 witnesses, which included Josh Camacho, his sister Janet, and another man who was present at the time of the murder named Dustin Grimes. Janet and Dustin testified that Wade was the aggressor and approached the van unprovoked. On top of that, the prosecution played the voicemails where Wade threatened to kill Sarah months prior to the incident. Josh testified that both girls had fought over him, but did his best to play off any responsibility. In a sworn deposition, he stated that yes, he slept with both girls and Aaron, his baby's mother, but they were not his girlfriends. He continually claimed that they were just friends with benefits, a label that the girls didn't seem to be aware of. The voicemails really sealed her fate, and it only took the jury two and a half hours to reach a verdict. If Madam Clerk would please publish our verdict. Yes, Your Honor. Case number CRC 09-07632 CFANO, State of Florida versus Rachel Wade, murder in the second degree. We the jury find as follows, ask that the defendant in this case, the defendant is guilty of murder in the second degree as charged. So say we all, Michael Schwartz, four-person of jury, July 23, 2010. On September 3rd, 2010, Rachel Wade was sentenced to 27 years in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 and a half years. She filed an appeal, but was denied on February 17, 2012. Rachel Wade is hoping that her story will help other young adults who get in similar situations. She now openly admits that Josh Camacho was not worth it and she should have talked to Sarah, saying, quote, It's not me, it's not you, it's him, end quote. She also realizes that social media made it easy for the situation to escalate. She did an interview after she was sentenced, explaining how it's easy for things to escalate online. Because the technology, everybody's saying technology, being able to talk over MySpace, being able to text, being able to do that, you're not really confronted with the problem face-to-face. -face. So 
So you can hide behind whatever you want to say, and it makes you feel big, and it makes you feel like, okay, I'm invincible. They're not going to come after me now. Being able to talk big while on the other end of a computer makes things much easier. You can take things to a pretty terrible level over social media. At one point, you left a message saying, I'm going to effing murder you. Murder? What were you thinking? I don't know. I guess I was just tired of harassment. I thought it was scared, like I said. Did you mean I'm going to murder you? No. Was this just trash talk? Yes. Would you have been able to say that to her face, or was it easier just to write it or leave it on a voicemail? It was easy to hide behind my threat, say it over a voicemail. When you're actually confronted with a situation like that, it's not, I don't know, that that's not as easy to be somebody that you're not. The things you all said to each other over your social media outlets were overwhelming. It's common, and I don't think people realize how common it is. I think people blow it off all the time. And I think that it seems to be younger and younger that girls do things like this, threatening each other, have cousins that are talking about fighting at 13 years old over boys. And they don't realize what it could escalate to. It happens every day. I've been dealing with it since I was about 15 years old. It's just never escalated like this. You can say whatever you want to scare someone without actually having to face them at that moment. Sending messages over MySpace, text messages, and voicemails make it easy to talk big while hiding behind a screen. Then, when you see each other in person, you're so worked up, things can get violent quickly. If you're having a fight with someone online, please take a moment to step back and realize that what's happening is not worth your anger. Sometimes, even when something makes you angrier than you've ever been, you just have to let it go. Take a deep breath and take a moment to think about why you're so angry, and a lot of times, you'll find that the thing you're fighting about isn't really important at all. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.